Welcome to Entrepreneurial Entrails for some short stories on the guts and glories of being an entrepreneur. Hey, it's Elizabeth Plouffe, and um, I'm a day late, but today is Wise Word Wednesdays. And one of the reasons I'm late is that I've been reading an awesome book that I hope a lot of you have read or know of or what have you by this guy that you might have heard of um, called Peter F. Drucker. And a friend of mine, Jason Little, recommended that I get acquainted with Drucker. And so I did. Um, I went on a hunt, once again, my favorite haunt, the used bookshop, and found two of his books. Um, this one is a smaller one. When was it published? 1985. Um, so a little newer than Napoleon Hill, but a little older than, you know, Tony Robbins. And it's about 270 pages, give or take a page. Um, and then I have his bigger one, and um, it's massive. It's it's just massive. Um, so I'm, I'm going to save that one until uh, I have more brain power, because it's probably more in like the 800-page situation, and uh, it's kind of huge on management. But if you're looking to get acquainted with Drucker, and you're looking to discover what the gurus of today are talking about and where they got the ideas from, then this is the book for you. It's uh, Peter F. Drucker, Innovation and Entrepreneurship, Practice and Principles, and uh, comes highly recommended across the board from many people that I've spoken to. And now for me, oh, it's like business book crack. It's fantastic. And uh, so as you go through um, the different topics that he covers, he looks at the practice of innovation, the practice of entre entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial strategies, <clears throat> and then uh, discusses at the end, sorry, conclusion, the, the entrepreneurial society and mindset. And it's amazing. He talks about, you know, being first to market and the value of iterating and how, you know, copying something directly is not necessarily the best way to go. You know, you want to make sure that you have somehow iterated and improved the project. He talks about um, the different stages. He talks about risk in business development. Does not advocate risk, I might add. You know, you see a lot of the entrepreneurs out there, and they're like, yeah, risk high, fail hard, yada, yada, yada. That's great if you've got a pocketbook that can, you know, cover your life while you're, you know, risking a lot and failing hard. However, when somebody as wise as Drucker um, tells you that maybe that's not a good idea and maybe you should actually plan and have processes in place around what you're trying to do, uh, you know, from me to you, I think that's probably the better way to go. Um, I'm on my third business and really wish for my second one, which I am redoing, that I had um, done more research. You know, well, you know what? I didn't know then what I know now, and, and when I read you the last quote of the book, you'll know why. Um, but just a little bit about Mr. Drucker. So from the Drucker Institute website, it says here, Peter Drucker was born in Vienna, Austria on November 19, 1909. The household in which he grew up was one of the great intellectual, f oh, one of great intellectual ferment. My apologies. His parents, Adolf and Caroline, regularly held evening salons with economists, including Joseph Schumpeter, I don't know, who would come to have a tremendous influence on Drucker, politicians, musicians, writers, and scientists. That was actually my education, Drucker later said. Drucker moved from Austria to Germany, where he worked at an export firm and took courses in admiral admiralty law at Hamburg University. 
He later transferred to Frankfurt University, where he studied law at night. He also became senior editor in charge of foreign affairs and business at Frankfurt's largest daily newspaper, the Frankfurter General Anzeiger. I don't know what that is, but sounds schwanky. Drucker received his Ph.D. in international law from Frankfurt University in 1932. Three years later, he moved to England after two of his essays, one on Friedrich Julius Stahl, a leading German philosopher, and the second, The Jewish Question in Germany, were banned and burned by the Nazis. Ooh, that's not good. In Cambridge, Drucker attended a lecture by leading economist John Maynard Keynes and there had an epiphany. I suddenly realized that Keynes and all the brilliant economic students in the room were interested in the behavior of commodities while I was interested in the behavior of people. In 1934, Drucker married Doris Schmitz. They moved to the United States in 37. Drucker served as a correspondent for several British newspapers, including the Financial Times. He eventually began teaching economics part-time at Sarah Lawrence College in New York. So I mean, it goes on, and there's more and more about this guy, but he's, uh, he's just terrific. I mean, the book... The book is a bit of a, it's not a struggle, I shouldn't say that. It's definitely something that you need to sit down and commit the time to reading, preferably at more, you know, at one go. It is a lot of information to take in, especially if you don't have a background in economics and business development, which I do not. Um, but you will learn an incredible amount uh, if you take the time to add this to your library and read it. And so I'm going to read a bit to you, which I like to do, from the books that I've read. And, you know, here's my... What that sound is, is all the stickies that I went, oh my God, that's brilliant, and stuck a sticky in so I would remember to share it with you. So I've chosen three just because they're super fantastic. So this is from the Systematic Entrepreneurship Development section under the Practice of Innovation, and he says, Entrepreneurship is thus a distinct feature, whether of an individual or of an institution. It is not a personality trait. In 30 years, I have seen people of the most diverse personalities and temperaments perform well in entrepreneurship, Ooh, entrepreneurial challenges. To be sure, people who need certainty are unlikely to make good entrepreneurs, but such people are unlikely to do well in a host of other activities as well. In politics, for instance, or in command positions in a military service or as the captain of an ocean liner. In all such pursuits, decisions have to be made, and the essence of any decision is uncertainty. But everyone who can face up to decision-making can learn to be an entrepreneur and to behave entrepreneurially. Entrepreneurship, then, is behavior rather than personality trait, and its foundation lies in concept and theory rather than intuition. And he goes on to say some other things, but oh my God, I mean, the, the stuff that this guy, oh, this is a good one here. Um, he talks about industry and market structures and how you need to have processes in place around your product or service development. So regardless of you're developing an app or you know, a new widget or, you know, I'm looking at my stuffed unicorn that I have on my thing. It, regardless of what you're doing, you need to have a system in place. You can't just go willy-nilly and decide to do a new business and a new product and iterate. Um, you need to, you need to understand what the process is. And if you don't understand the process, the worst thing you can do for yourself is not find people smarter than you to give you that information. And Drucker is one of those people. Granted, I mean, unfortunately, he's not around to ask personally, but I firmly believe that by continuing your education and by learning and reaching out and whatever, your business can only get better and better. It is when you don't admit that you don't know something that your business, it will fail. If you try and take everything on yourself 
And, and Henry Ford himself was a victim of this. He actually hired somebody to his company to help with innovation and design. And I think it was after 13 years, Thomas Koserin, I believe his name was, you know, Ford decided that he'd had enough and pitched the guy out because the guy told him that the, uh, the Model T, which was the only car that Ford was producing at the time, you know, that they had to have new models and that the Model T wouldn't be able to compete. And by the time Ford's grandson took over the business, it was almost in bankruptcy and, and going to not exist anymore. So had Ford not operated from ego and said, you know what, guy, I think you're right and let's talk about this, which is what Drucker advocates throughout this book, then he may have, you know, obviously succeeded in the end, but not because of him. It was because he had somebody open-minded who was willing to bring experts in and um, learn from them that the Ford Motor Company still exists. So he talks here, sorry, we're back to Drucker. Innovations that exploit changes in industry structure are particularly effective if the industry and its markets are dominated by one very large manufacturer or supplier or by a very few. Even if there is no true monopoly, these large dominant producers and suppliers, having been successful and unchallenged for many years, tend to be arrogant. At first they dismiss the newcomer as in insignificant and indeed amateurish. But even when the newcomer takes a larger and larger share of their business, they find it hard to mobilize themselves for counteraction. It took the Bell system almost 10 years before it responded to the long-distance discounters and to the challenge from the PBX manufacturers. So if you're looking at it, and he, he talks a lot about IBM and uh, Apple computers and how they disrupted things and how people don't see opportunity for disruption as something that they should pursue. You know, they rest on their laurels and decide that their product is, is the best one out there and that they will they will overcome which is not the case my friends so uh, oh this is really cool so this is something um, there's an event I'm involved with that I've talked about before and I'm really fortunate to have met this group of people and it's called spark the change Toronto and I started with spark uh, this is our third year doing this event uh, it's happening June 12th and 13th in Toronto at the Royal Ontario Museum weird location but really super cool and the entire event is about disrupting current practices for HR and management and leadership and showing people that there can be a better way and, and different ways. And one of the ways Drucker talks about in 1985, and he says here, a third practice and one that is particularly important in the large company is a session, informal but scheduled and well-prepared, in which a member of the top management group sits down with the junior people from research, engineering, manufacturing, marketing, accounting, and so on. The senior opens the session by saying, I'm not here to make a speech or to tell you anything, but I'm here to listen. I want to hear from you what your aspirations are, but above all, where you see opportunities for this company and where you see threats. And what are your ideas for us to try and do new things, develop new products, design new ways of reaching that market? What questions do you have about the company, its policies, its direction, its position in the industry, in technology, and in the marketplace? These sessions should not be held too often. They are a substantial time burden on senior people. And he goes on to talk about the, um, the structure of the meetings and what have you, but he provides the, the face, uh, the value, the face value for these sessions, which, you know, in, in my experience, um, a lot of the managers that I've dealt with, the higher they get, the more they believe they don't need to know. And regardless of where you are in your company, 
Um, but if you are a CEO, don't assume you know everything. You, you, you hopefully have good HR practices where you've hired people who are creative and innovative and have ideas and aren't yes men. And the second that you start hiring people who just keep saying, yeah, that's a great idea, boss, and go along with what you say, your business is screwed, screwed, blued, and tattooed because you will fail. And it, it may not be immediate. It may take a while, but it will happen because nobody knows everything. Like nobody knows everything. And, and you need to have people who are wise and who are creative and you need to be a leader, as Drucker says here over and over again, that is interested in those ideas and open to hearing that and doesn't operate from ego so that you can make your company better and better. Um, one of the last two things here, what am I talking about here? Here we go. Oh, this was really cool. And this actually, I went to a, a workshop or a session the other night with, oh, good golly. And I have the names in front of me. It was at a, um, a supplement company called Zymogen, and I think it was James Maskell, and my notes are upstairs, rats, um, and Sachin Patel, who is a uh, uh, integrated practitioner of, of chiropractic and, and other medicines. I'm going to try and find the name for you because the guy is fantastic. But they talked about, um, yeah, of course I don't have it because that's just my luck. Anyway, they talked about this, um, when you are building your company and your product and service, to remember that there is a difference to your consumer around being expensive and being affordable. And you know, one of the speakers said, he said, I, nobody has ever said that our services are too expensive or aren't valuable, but they have said they aren't affordable. And so then you work with your consumer to make it affordable, but, but not by dropping the value or the price of what you're offering. And it's a, that was a huge aha moment for me because you, as an entrepreneur, when you're developing a product or service, you always worry about it being too expensive. And understanding the distinction between expensive and affordable is a huge release in far as pricing your product or service appropriately. And then, you know, you find ways. That's why they offer payment plans and breaking things down and what have you. So what he talks about here, uh, price in itself is not pricing and it is not value. It was this insight that gave King Gillette a virtual monopoly on the shaving market for almost 40 years. It also enabled the tiny Haloid company to become the multi-billion dollar Xerox company in 10 years, and it gave General Electric world leadership in steam turbines. In every single case, these companies became exceedingly profitable, but they earned their profitability. They were paid for giving their customers satisfaction, for giving their customers what the customers wanted to buy, in other words, for giving their customers their money's worth. But this is nothing but elementary marketing. Most readers will protest and they are right. It is nothing but elementary marketing to start out with the customer's utility, with what the customer buys, with what the realities of the customer are, and what the customer's values are. This is what marketing is all about. But why after 40 years of preaching marketing, teaching marketing, professing marketing, so few suppliers are willing to follow, I cannot explain. The fact remains that so far anyone who is willing to use marketing as the basis for strategy is likely to acquire leadership in an industry or a market fast and almost without risk. And that's basically, that goes back to Simon Sinek's, you know, start with why, which not condemning him by any stretch of the imagination, but if he's done his research and he's educated himself, you just heard from Peter Drucker, Simon Sinek's, you know, start with why philosophy. Um, so it, it's nothing new. 
he's just delivering it in a new way and, and perhaps the language that he's using just resonates with today's audiences more. But, you know, here's Drucker back in 1985 basically saying the same thing. Start with why, you know, find the value that you can give to a customer and use that to drive your product and service development and your marketing platform. And so the last piece I want to read to you here, and I know this is a lot of reading today, but honestly, I just want to get you excited about this book and, uh, and give it a chance. Um, and he says here, the individual in entrepreneurial society. In an entrepreneurial society, individuals face a tremendous challenge, a challenge they need to exploit as an opportunity, the need for continuous learning and relearning. In traditional society, it could be assumed and was assumed that learning came to an end with adolescence or at the latest with adulthood. What one had not learned by age 21 or so, one would never learn. But also what one had learned by age 21 or so, one would apply unchanged the rest of one's life. On these assumptions, traditional apprenticeship was based. Traditional crafts, traditional professions, but also the traditional system of education and the schools. Crafts, professions, systems of education and schools are still by and large based on these assumptions. There were, of course, always exceptions, some groups that practice continuous learning and relearning. The great artists and great scholars, Zen monks, mystics, and the Jesuits. But these exceptions are so few that they could safely be ignored. In an entrepreneurial society, however, these exceptions become the exemplars. The correct assumption in an entrepreneurial society is that individuals will have to learn new things well after they have become adults, and maybe more than once. The correct assumption is that what individuals have learned by age 21 will begin to become obsolete five to ten years later, and now in 2017 within a week, and will have to be replaced or at least refurbished by new learning, new skills, and new knowledge. And that, my friends, is the key to success, is learning, relearning, reaching out, finding ways to learn, finding people to learn from. If it's this podcast, fantastic. If it's Gary Vaynerchuk, even better, because the guy's a freaking genius. Marie Forleo, Ariana Huffington, Brene Brown, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Simon Sinek, Tony Robbins, like whoever. But keep learning, keep reaching out, keep finding ways to expand your knowledge base. And especially if you're an entrepreneur. Or, you know, if Mondays suck and you hate going to your job, then my friend, you need to crack a book. You need to find a way to learn more so that you can either make your job not suck or you can find a new job. Or if you've seen a, a crack in an industry or a product or service that you know you can fill, get off your butt, learn what you need to learn, go to the masters like Drucker and get the skills and the education that you need to be successful. So those are my wise words today. Well, not my wise words, Peter Drucker's wise words. But uh, please give this book a chance. Um, like I say, I found this in a secondhand shop. I will have links on my website. I have the Wise Word Library there that has links to uh, Amazon.com and Amazon.ca for each book that I read. And so you can take a look. It's MCV Communications. Um, and it's not expensive. You know, when you're investing in your future and you're investing in your education, you know, you can't do it instantly. You have to put the time in. And you have to spend a bit of bucks. And I think, you know, I got this secondhand for five bucks. One of the best books I've ever bought. And uh, absolutely worth the time it took to read it, which was probably about a month, I'll be honest with you, month and a half. Um, but it's a treasure. It's, it's, I'm so glad to have that knowledge in my head. And uh, probably it'll take until this time next year for me to read his other huge book. But in the meanwhile, I'll be reading lots of others. 
and hopefully sharing that with you. So just know that you have the guts and glory to make your own story. That's what my Entrepreneurial Entrails um, podcast is all about, is giving you the, the skills and information to do whatever you need to do. And I hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm a, I'm a day late again on Wise Word Wednesdays, but it's wise words nonetheless. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.